Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You know, one of the biggest myths surrounding the vegan diet is that vegans don't get enough protein, right? Most common question vegans are asked by meat eaters, where do you get your protein from? And I'll specifically address that question in a minute. But the problem here is meat has really become synonymous with protein. But come on, protein is protein. Protein is made from amino acids. And amino acids are indeed required for making the proteins in our body, right? People build muscle and other necessary body proteins from amino acids, which come from the proteins we eat. But these amino acids are just as readily available in plants as they are in meat. Yes, meat is protein dense, but protein is found in plant-based foods. And there's this belief by some that one could never get too much protein and more protein is better. Well, it's simply not true. Consuming excess amounts of protein can actually be harmful. And many people are unaware of the health risks associated with a high-protein diet. So if you're eating animals, it's pretty likely you're getting too much protein. The typical meat-eating North American eats about twice the amount of protein that they need in a single day. And the main problem here with too much protein is your body can't store it. Your body can store fat, your body can store carbohydrates, but you can't store protein. So what happens, it gets metabolized and releases toxic substances. It also causes you to lose calcium, so animal protein creates this acidic condition in your body, which can be a bad thing, but that's a whole other topic. So where do we vegans get our protein? From our plant-based diets. In fact, plants are so rich in protein that they can meet the protein needs of the Earth's largest animals. Elephants, giraffes, hippopotamuses, and cows, they all are vegetarians. They certainly are able to obtain the protein they need by only eating plants. So how about us human vegans specifically? You got your whole grains, certain breads, rice, barley, whole grain pastas, your legumes, right? What's a legume? Anything that grows in a pot. Beans, peas, lentils, very protein-rich. And this would also include all the soy or tofu products out there. Tofu is also known as bean curd, which comes from soy milk. Green vegetables, yes, certain veggies are a great source of protein. Broccoli, for example. And then we have our nuts, sprouts, and seeds, again, loaded with healthy protein. And remember, with these foods, you're not only getting your healthy source of protein, you're getting other vital nutrients as well that you will not find in meat. And that's the thing. Meat is protein and fat. That's it. No fiber, no complex carbohydrates for energy, no vitamins to protect your body from illnesses. Meat is protein and fat. And we already said that most North American meat eaters are probably getting too much protein, which is not healthy for you. And the fat in meat is mostly saturated fat. And this fat turns into cholesterol. And we know about what this so-called bad cholesterol can do to us. And by the way, there's no cholesterol in plant-based foods. Now let's talk about fiber for a minute. What is fiber? Fiber is plant roughage. So you're not going to find fiber in meat. It's only in plant foods. It's, it's actually the indigestible part of plant foods that pushes through our digestive system, absorbing water along the way and easing bowel movements. And a high-fiber diet has many health benefits. Soluble fiber reduces the amount of cholesterol the liver makes and slows the absorption of cholesterol. So overall, soluble fiber lowers our bad cholesterol levels. 
legumes, right? Beans, peas, lentils, oats, barley, beans, fruits, and vegetables, all high in fiber. There's no fiber in meat. Healthiest diet you can have, high fiber, low fat. That's a plant-based diet. The human body has absolutely no nutritional requirements for animals or their products. Okay, so back to protein. So Lori, you're vegan. You must be protein deficient and weak and frail. And how are you even standing up right now? Plants have protein. I'm telling you, if you're consuming enough calories via a relatively healthy plant-based diet, it's very difficult to not get enough protein in your diet. So let's talk about specific foods. Two tablespoons of peanut butter contain approximately eight grams of protein. I put about that much peanut butter or almond butter on my whole grain bread in the morning. And the whole grain bread I have is about another eight grams of protein. So that's already 15 or 16 grams of protein for breakfast. And didn't even mention my seven grams of protein in my oatmeal, which is loaded with fiber, by the way. And then maybe for lunch, I'll have some lentil soup. Ha! Very high in fiber. And guess what? A single cup of cooked lentil beans is going to offer 18 grams of protein. So my lentil soup and maybe some brown rice for lunch is a pretty proteinaceous, healthy meal, wouldn't you say? Now, if you want to believe the guidelines from the United States Department of Agriculture that the recommended daily allowance of protein for the average American man and woman is 56 grams and 46 grams, respectively. I think I pretty much just met my daily protein needs with my breakfast and lunch alone, don't you? This quantity of protein one needs on a daily basis is almost impossible to avoid when daily caloric needs are being met by eating a relatively healthy plant-based diet. Another myth about the vegan diet, you don't get enough calcium. Many people think if you don't drink the secretions from a cow or products made from cow's milk like cheese, then you must not be meeting your body's calcium needs and you're going to get weak bones and osteoporosis and whatever. So where do I get my calcium? Okay, some of the most calcium-rich foods include nuts, seeds, tofu, beans, grains, leafy green vegetables. Actually, same kinds of foods I get my protein from. In addition, many vegan alternatives to cow's milk, like soy or almond milk, are fortified with calcium, and it's probably recommended that most women take a calcium supplement anyway. But putting aside the cruelty inherent in the dairy industry and all the evidence out there that shows that milk and dairy products are not only not necessary in your diet, but in fact are harmful to your health, doesn't it seem strange or unnatural if you drink cow's milk or eat dairy products like ice cream? yogurt, cheese, that you're consuming something that is intended to be consumed by calves? I mean, the milk a cow produces was intended to feed her offspring, not humans. Yes, I know, ice cream tastes good, but it's a strange concept if you think for a minute about where it came from, isn't it? Health benefits of a vegan diet, a plant-based diet. The most common diseases that are killing Americans today, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, are not a natural consequence of aging or secondary to bad genes. It's our diet. 95% of the American diet is processed and refined foods and animal products. This is the best diet to kill us. And this is the typical North American diet. And it's not only killing us, but it's making our kids fatter than ever. And, by the way, Americans are spending more money on health care than any other industrialized country in the world. 
yet we're sicker than ever. Heart disease, stroke, cancer, other illnesses are the direct result of the toxic Western diet. But here's the good news. It's been shown that many of the illnesses that are caused by consuming animal products are reversible. For example, the narrowing and clogging of your arteries by animal fat and cholesterol can be reversed. They can open up again simply by changing your diet. Doctors tend to overlook the power of nutrition as a means to prevent disease. In fact, I don't remember taking any courses on nutrition when I went to medical school. For me, the decision to become a vegan was easy. When I learned about the horrible cruelty and suffering inflicted upon 10 billion farm animals every year, the tremendous impact on the environment, and the effects on our health, the choice was pretty obvious. You can take control over your health. Make a New Year's resolution. Give up the meat, dairy, and eggs. I'm confident within one to two months, your energy is going to improve. Your digestion will improve. If you have high blood pressure or cholesterol, you're going to see that come down. Your weight's going to fall. Your concentration will improve. You can do this. A plant-based diet is the single most powerful thing you can do to prevent and fight against disease. So it's good for you. And of course, it's good for the animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild, to animals on farms and in agriculture, to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused, because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. 
For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How you doing? Good. Okay. Holiday time is here. Yep. We're in between Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and people are eating a lot and thinking about food and their diets, right? That's right. So uh, every year around this time, I remember when I became vegetarian. Tell us about that. And I know this happened to you also at some point in life, but here's my little story. I was in college. I was a junior and a friend of mine started uh, saying, you know, you should stop eating meat. And she showed me this book, Diet for a Small Planet. You hear that? It was a classic book way, way back. This is the eighties, of course. So, and I sort of paged through and said, oh, this is interesting. And, uh, and she brought me to a sort of health food Supermarket, but I've never been to one of these places before. It was almost weird to be, and I was used to going to the regular conventional supermarket, you know, with the Wallbaums that was popular in New York, Pathmark. Anyway, so here we are in the store and scooping the grains out of the containers and marking down what number it was and making all sorts of interesting uh, recipes back back in the house. And uh, just right there, I just decided I was going to stop eating meat. I became a vegetarian and uh, uh, continued eating cheese and eggs. I really didn't get the full picture and didn't sort of understand the uh, problems with dairy and the egg industry and the cruelty there. But either way, so I go home for Thanksgiving, drive about three or four hours to come home and uh, announce to the family with the turkey right in front, oh, I'm not eating this anymore. I'm stopped. I'm vegetarian. That was uh, met with almost disbelief for a while and oh this is a passing thing oh what what are they doing to you in college and all that kind of stuff and well it persisted and persisted and uh and here we are the strange thing is that just a few years earlier i don't know if i ever told you this i had written a paper i think maybe in high school or junior high school how to carve a turkey i had to explain the steps on how to carve a turkey so i become the family's turkey carver that was my job until that time then i someone else had to take it up and they miss that skill. So that is uh, when I became vegetarian. For me, it was very natural. And really, I never missed the taste of meat at all. Uh, So I think I'm very fortunate that way. I know some people will find it very uh, difficult. Okay. And so, Laura, you're growing up on the other coast. And uh, what happened to you? Well, I was 13 years old when I became a vegetarian. And eating meat just sort of grossed me out. And I remember thinking, why am I being forced or asked by my parents to eat dead animals? My brothers tell me they remember specifically the incident that turned me into a vegetarian. Mm. And that was when my mom was serving the family brisket for dinner. Whatever the hell that is. Did you eat brisket when you were growing up? Yes, that was part of our thing. What is that? Is that supposed to be a Jewish food? It is. Part of a cow? It is. 
I don't know exactly what part or what why it's called that. In any case, my brother said that I cut into the artery Mm. of the brisket, the Mm -hmm. meat, and blood squirted out, and I started screaming. That's horrible. And from that point on, according to my brothers, Mm -hmm. I no longer ate meat. I remember growing up, my mother would often get very frustrated with me after all the effort she put into making nice dinners for us, and I'd refuse to eat it, or at least the meat part of the dinner. Yeah. She'd say, so what are you going to eat then? Yeah, what are you going to eat? And where do you get your protein? And then several years ago, Peter, you and I together gave up the cheese and the eggs and became a full-fledged vegan. That's right. We had been married for a a while and both sort of ovo-lacto-vegetarians. But I have to say, I at least didn't really examine the issues carefully enough. And only when I learned really what goes on in these industries, where your milk comes from to make the cheese and all the cruelty with production of eggs, that was just, just enough. And we just sort of took the plunge together, right? And... We acknowledge, okay, so now we're deeply into it. It's a very natural part of our lifestyle. The only slightly annoying part is when we go out to eat. Sometimes you have to sort of be creative or plan ahead. But really, it's a very natural and uh, happy diet for us. And we feel uh, really uh, good about it. But we definitely have some tips we'd like to share. But before we go there, Peter, I just want to say that we live a vegan lifestyle, which means we don't buy or wear any leather or suede or any animal products. Including wool. Including wool. Right. And we're very careful not to purchase or use any products tested on animals. Right. So the whole deal. The whole deal. The whole enchilada. Right. Okay, so let's go back to food because it's the holiday season. And maybe you have been thinking about trying to change your diet. You know you probably should. You're pre-diabetic, or you've just been put on one additional blood pressure medicine, you can't fit into your pants anymore, it's time. And so you're a little curious about vegetarian or veganism, but it's a big, scary thing, and you don't know where to start. Well, it's really not that hard, and it is so much easier than in the old days where you were really fending for yourself, eating bland food, cooking rotten stuff, eating vegetable after vegetable, and bland tofu. It's so much better. So I have a couple of tips, and I know you do too, Lori, about how to get this going, right? You bet. (laughs) Okay, so here's my tip number one in getting acquainted with the vegetarian or vegan diet, and that is find yourself a good vegetarian or preferably vegan restaurant and go there a few times and order some stuff and start eating it and see what it tastes like and see what a creative vegan diet is. And that will really sort of, I think, uh, break some of the resistance and, and show you what is possible. You don't have to invent this all by yourself. And here's another idea that I really like, and that is this concept of, well, they call it a meatless Monday, but you can just throw in a vegan or vegetarian meal here and there, but really to have the discipline to say, okay, it's Monday. I'm going to go the whole day without eating any meat. And you start doing that. You make it a routine and soon you start adding meals or days to this. And it's a really neat way to start. And there are many online resources. There there are three-week starter plans. Uh, You definitely want to have a buddy do this or someone in your household taking this on along with you. It's really a lot easier. Those are great tips, Peter. My tip is you got to understand about cheese. Yeah. For me, giving up cheese was probably the hardest thing. I remember. It was hard for me, too. I was a cheese addict. And when I say addict, cheese is addicting. And I think if you ask most vegans, they'd say the hardest thing to give up is the cheese. And so the main protein in cheese is casein. Mm. And guess what? 
when you digest this milk protein casein, you get a product called casomorphine. That's right, casomorphine, like morphine. Wow. Triggers the opioid effect in the brain. Yes. The brain chemical responsible for feeling pleasure, feeling euphoria. So cheese is addictive. Physically addictive. Physically addictive. Right. Okay, so now with this knowledge, you will understand why it can be difficult. So you can just gradually cut it out, understand that, yes, your body is physically calling out for this substance. Go all or none or wean, whatever you do. And uh, also, one neat thing compared to the old days is that there are very palatable non-dairy cheese substitutes. They melt. They taste pretty good. They are derived from various plant products. And... uh, It's a really nice uh, substitute. Experiment with them also. So there's just a few ideas to get you going. Happy holidays and happy eating and good luck on your vegetarian and vegan journey. You will not regret it, right? Very good. Don't go away. More with Animals Today right after the break. It's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. a cartoon right now showing two cats chatting at a bar drinking martinis and there are Christmas ornaments dangling from the ceiling and the caption reads so they bring a tree in the house and put all these shiny dangling things on it then freak out if I go near it this is why I drink so the holiday season is upon us and keeping our furry family members safe during the holidays can be a difficult task. Veterinarian Dr. Robert Reed is here to tell us what preventative measures we need to take to protect our companion animals this holiday season. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Reed. Hi, Lori. Yeah, nice to be back. Robert, there are many articles that talk about the hazards to pets during the holiday season. Do you see more pet incidents this time of year? Certainly, we see a lot more pet, unexpected pet incidents, you know, things that come up because of all the activity and the changes that occur in the household because of the holidays. So tell us what we need to be aware of. Well, thinking back to your example of the cartoon um, regarding the Christmas tree, there are a lot of things associated with the tree and the gifts around the tree that can present hazards, both for cats and dogs. Um, The ornaments, of course, you mentioned, uh, obviously, sometimes can be glass. Um, Plenty of people put tinsel or ribbons on their trees. And broken glass can be a hazard for a cat or a dog, either through contact or, in some cases, dogs even chew on them. Uh, But for cats, the bigger risk is really the tinsel or any kind of string-like decoration that they might want to chew on, play with, or even swallow because they can create obstructions in their digestive tract. Um, the electrical cords that uh, attach the trees to the outlets, of course, uh, and to the lights themselves. 
uh, the water that you put in the tree that sits there and soaks up uh, a little bit of the uh, oils from the tree itself can grow bacteria. There may be some fertilizers in it. These are all things that present mild hazards. You know, the electrical cord is obvious. Uh, glass ornaments obvious. The ribbon and tinsel should be obvious. But a few other things, you know, to think about are like batteries or gifts that might be placed under the tree that contain things that you don't know about that may become evident to a dog, particularly those that contain food. So if there's one pearl of wisdom I can offer you in protecting your pets from tree-related risks, it's to make sure that if you receive a gift from someone that's wrapped that you think might have food in it, don't put it under the tree. Yeah. Dogs are very good at sniffing those out. And how about food hazards? Um, Food hazards are probably the most common types of problems we encounter, particularly with dogs. Um, the, The most most problematic one is chocolate, and we'll get back to that in a second. Okay. But there are other things that you may not think about, like bread dough, which is um, uh, more prevalent around the holidays and certainly can present problems for dogs, both as a choking hazard and, interestingly, as a potential for alcohol poisoning as it ferments, it gets into the system. Um, but, you know, any food that has a uh, high fat content or something that a dog is not used to eating um, can cause a lot of irritation to the stomach or the intestinal tract. And, you know, more significantly, it particularly has a lot of fat in it, can overstimulate the pancreas and create pancreatitis, which can be a progressive condition if not treated, um, even to the point of becoming life-threatening. So we worry a lot about those dietary indiscretions. They're easily the most common cause of a medical problem related to the hot, to the holidays. Uh, but chocolate definitely is the big one. That is the thing that we see most often around the holidays. And um, there's a few things that people may want to remember about chocolate that can be helpful. Um, one is that milk chocolate is the least toxic of the forms of chocolate. We tend to use that as the standard. So if you say that milk chocolate, you know, can cause perhaps a a problem for a dog of 20 pounds if they consume two ounces of it. Dark chocolate is about twice as toxic as milk chocolate. So a 20-pound dog could become sick if they ingested maybe one ounce of it. The really serious ones are baker's chocolate, which is about eight times as toxic as milk milk chocolate, and uh, cocoa powder which is about 10 times as chocolate, as uh, toxic as milk chocolate. Uh, white chocolate has very little toxic properties. It doesn't have a lot of actual chocolate in it, so it's a little bit safer. The, the toxic component is theobromine, and there's a little bit of caffeine in it. So the problems that you would see if a dog ingests too much chocolate is usually a little hyperactivity initially, um, but sometimes depression Um, Very often a racing heart, sometimes vomiting, very often diarrhea. And if the dose is high enough, it can actually be fatal. So I always recommend if you think your dog has ingested chocolate that you talk to someone about it. And I I have a number for a poisoning control line that can be helpful. Uh, But always talk to someone about it. 
have an idea about how much chocolate the dog or cat, it's usually a dog, has eaten, uh, what kind of chocolate it is, or what kind of mix of chocolates may be in it, so that you can get an idea of actually the amount of toxic component that a dog has eaten to tell you whether their dog is going to have a significant problem and how urgently you need to address it. Now, I know a lot of people give their dogs bones during the holidays, chicken bones, turkey bones. This this can't be healthy or good for the animals, right? Well, I think that's true. And there's there's one you know, watchword that I, I, I like to follow with with those type, with feeding a dog during the holidays, but there's a lot of stuff going on in households that creates stress for dogs and cats in the household. They have you know strange people in the house, changes in schedule, distracted owners. There's a lot going on that create anxiety for pets. The last thing you want to do is introduce new foods into their lives that they have to deal with. At any point, a dog or cat is going to have a hard time adjusting their digestive tract to a new food, but particularly when there are other anxieties, other stressors in the household that are causing them problems already. I think that you know, if there's one thing that you can do just to protect your household overall, and that, that's to try to provide your, your pets a refuge from all of the anxiety, all of the activity and excitement that's going on. Not every dog and most cats are not happy about having all these people and all of these things going on at once. So it's helpful to give them a zone that they can go to and be away from all that. And you can allow them exposures in a limited amount. And it also helps keep your guests from giving them food that you're not aware of. It, it makes it easier for you to keep track of where they are so you're not worried about them getting out of the house or getting into an area that they're not supposed to be in or getting into foods or, um, or decorations that you don't want them getting into. That's really great advice. And it's probably important to keep our pets eating and exercise habits as close to their normal routine as possible, right? I would agree with that completely. Yeah, do as much as you can to protect their routine because there are plenty of forces working against you on that, trying to disrupt the routine. Do everything you can to keep it consistent. Dr. Reed, talk briefly about toxic holiday plants. You know, that's a good question to bring up, Lori. There are a few plants that we tend to associate with the holidays. Um, The main three are poinsettia, mistletoe, and holly. All three of those have minor toxic components, but generally not life-threatening. They're likely to cause a gastrointestinal upset, maybe some vomiting, potentially some diarrhea, but nothing too serious um, if they ingest it. And that's usually going to be a dog. Cats will chew on them, and they'll get some vomiting from the irritation, but generally nothing more serious than that. The one plant that everyone who has cats should be aware of is lilies. Lilies are not a big winter flower. They're more of a spring flower. You're not likely to have them in the house, but occasionally flower arrangements will have lilies in them. And every component of the lily plant is toxic to cats, Mm. but not to dogs. So anytime you have lilies in the house, make sure they're kept in an area where your cat is not going to be able to get to them. 
Hey, Laura, there's a couple of more tips I want to offer for people on the holidays. Um, two things to remember that you might encounter. Those little silica gel packets that come in, th- in, in uh, boxes to keep the contents dry. They yeah. have a little label that says, do not eat. They're not that toxic. Okay. Not a big deal. Probably one of the most common reasons people call the poison control hotline is for that, and they're not that bad. And the other thing is those um, glow-in-the-dark ornaments or glow sticks. If a dog or a cat bites into them, they may act like it really, really bothers them because it tastes really bad, but it's not very toxic. Great. And, Dr. Ree, what is the poison control hotline number, please? The ASPCA Poison Control Hotline is 888-426-4435. And just so your listeners know, Lori, there's a $65 charge um, to receive advice through that line. Okay, I'm going to repeat that number again so people can write it down and hang it up on the refrigerator if they need it in an emergency. 888-426-4435. Dr. Robert Reed, thank you. You bet, Lori. Happy holidays. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website, again, is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dr. Lori with your Animals Today Minute, featuring one of my favorites, the cheetah. December 4th is International Cheetah Day, and unfortunately, they are Africa's most endangered big cat, with only about 10,000 remaining in the wild. These speedy carnivores can reach 70 miles per hour as they hunt their preferred prey, small antelopes. Cheetahs use their long, muscular tail like a rudder and stabilizer, permitting quick turns at high speeds. Cheetahs have about 2,000 small round spots, each animal with its unique pattern, which allows observers and scientists to identify them. Their characteristic dark tear streaks are thought to aid their vision by reducing glare. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild, to animals on farms and in agriculture, to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. 
If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love animals today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the program. The holidays are just around the corner, and there are going to be many family gatherings. Recently, we spoke with Colleen Ellis from the Pet Loss Center about how to help children and teens grieve for deceased pets. But this time of year brings on other issues and challenges related to pet loss. I want to welcome back to the show Colleen Ellis from the Pet Loss Center. Welcome back, Colleen. Good evening, Dr. Lori. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be with you. Colleen, is it harder for people to lose a companion animal around the holidays versus other times of year? You know, I think it's really the emotions that are that are associated with the loss in general, whether it's losing them right now. Of course, any time that, that there's a loss that's near a holiday, a major holiday like Thanksgiving or Christmas, obviously, every year from this point forward, we're reminded of that, right? But the other aspect is, even if it was two months ago, four months ago, ten months ago, as we approach the holiday season, Everybody looks around and and they're thankful and they're joyous and they're happy and they're into the season. And and we have some of our folks, whatever loss they may have had this year, but let's just talk to pet loss, that maybe they're not feeling that way. And they're not wanting to be joyous and thankful because they're remembering a pet who's not here, a very special pet. Maybe the pet was tied to numerous other events in their life. And this is their first holiday season that they're not going to be able to have that little pet with them. Just a, It's a stark, harsh reminder of reality. Right. So what strategies can you recommend that might be different from other times of the year for people to cope with the loss of their animal? You know, a few things. First of all, what I always tell people is, number one, be kind to yourself. If you don't feel like going to a holiday party or you don't feel like participating in the joyous event, then don't go. Be kind to yourself. This is the, the season of giving gifts, right? Well, give your gift, give yourself this one gift. Give yourself permission to do what feels right to you. And if you don't want to go and you don't want to be joyous and you don't want to participate in those events, then you know what? Don't go. So that's number one. Number two, step back just a minute because about the first time that we that we bring out the, the holiday decorations and the Christmas ornaments and the stockings and whatever else special we may have had that we celebrated and that part that pet was a part of, the first time those come out or even the second time, I know I still catch a get a tear in my eye and it's been thirteen years later with my precious little girl and you get that ornament out and Again, it's just that that stark reminder of reality that they're not here. So the second thing that I want to say is whatever you feel is right to do to either hang the ornament or not hang the ornament, to still put their stocking up, not put their stocking up. You do whatever feels right to you, not what others' opinions are, but what feels right to you. Thirdly, I would say start to really kind of look and say, in honor of that precious pet that's not here this year, what maybe can I do in their memory, in their honor, but I can still give. I can give I can give because of them. I know for me I really up my my charitable donations at this time of year to the shelters because I know they've got a lot going on and it makes me feel good that I've done something in her memory and in her honor. So maybe you look at it just a bit different in how you're going to give and how you're still gonna keep them a part of the season. 
There's three things right there, Dr. Lori. Colleen, how about children? What strategies can you recommend for them? You know, just like our last conversation that we had, I I made a a point to say that parents are the barometer for how children are going to handle the loss and and how they'll handle grief. And I think this is the same the same answer. Parents are still going to be the barometer for how the child may react, may react at the holidays. They're probably going to be sad, too, as they remember all the or look back and even see all the pictures that they took in last year at the holidays with their pet that was that was right there front and center. So parents need to also give them permission to be involved in the activity, whether it's getting out the stocking and maybe what what the ritual is, is when we get the stocking out or the special ornaments. Maybe we tell a story of what we remember, what we miss what we learned from them. So there's a great, great way that we can still have a very healthy part of grief and a healthy part of loss. The second thing is, and it was the last thing that I mentioned in my in my three things that I said to you, it's a great way to teach children about giving. It's a great way to teach children about charitable things that they can do, whether it's doing a, a drive in the honor of the pet that has died and taking that down to the shelter and being a part of what goes on at a shelter at a rescue operation. So a great way to, to have some teachable moments there. Colleen, you're going to be doing something very sweet on December 5th. You are leading Facebook Live sessions on pet loss support. Can you tell us a little bit about that in case any of my listeners want to join you? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for asking me. And I just am so excited about that this year. On December 5th, we're going to start what I call the 12 days of pet loss support at the holidays. You know, right at that point, we're between Thanksgiving, we're between Christmas, we're between the New Year. We're right in the throes of just everything around us is about happy and joyous and in every aspect of that. And so on December 5th, we're going to start some Facebook Live sessions every morning at 10 o'clock Central Time. We're going to spend about, oh, five to ten minutes together, and, and it's actually out on my, on my website as well that we've listed all the topics that we're going to do for those 12 days. And so we're going to do things like a project. We're going to do things like for that five to ten minutes, I may do a reading, or we may, we may participate in, a, in the lighting of a candle in the honor of our pet, and then I'll do either a reading or a special song. So for those 12 days, every day it's going to be something different. And there's actually, I believe I built in two days in there that are going to incorporate projects for the children that they can do to honor their pet at the holidays. So going to take that Monday through Friday, starting on December 5th. It will end on December 20th. And that will be our 12 days of pet loss support at the holidays. But it'll be live, Facebook Live. So you can either join me live or go out to the Pet Loss Center's Facebook page and you can watch it after we've aired it that morning. Colleen Ellis from the Pet Loss Center, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. And, and thanks, thanks for what you do to allow this resource and to allow these types of conversations to happen. Because losing, losing a pet and the death of a pet many times is a disenfranchised grief. And so the fact that we get to talk about it and bring it front and center, absolutely priceless. Thank you for you. And that's all the time we have today. Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet the animals.